Mark 1, 35 through 45. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, can you make me clean? Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and said, and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of the Gospel of, of Mark. Actually, we just started the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and that's the book we're kind of going to sort of be in uh, for the majority of this year. And so far in our text, so far in this series, uh, we've seen that, you know, Jesus has, has grown up. He's started his ministry. He's getting started in his ministry. And John Mark, the guy who's writing this book, the author of this book, he kind of skips all the parts about baby Jesus and dives right into the identity and the mission of Jesus, who Christ is and what he truly came to do. And this morning, we're going to look at a couple of Jesus's really top priorities. Two of Jesus's top priorities we're going to look at this morning, the priorities he places on prayer and then on compassion. So we're going to look at Jesus's priorities of prayer and compassion. Three points we're going to look at this morning is uh, first, his priority of prayer. Secondly, his compassion, specifically in preaching. Uh, Third, his compassion and mercy. So let's look at that first one, his priority of prayer. Uh, go ahead and read the first few verses of our text with me. Uh, Mark chapter 1, just verses 35 through 37, which says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed. And he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. They found Jesus and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now I'm going to back us up for a quick moment so we can sort of review the context that we find Jesus praying in, right? Like earlier in this chapter, Jesus was, was preaching. He was preaching with authority in ways that just astonished the people. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom. And then after that, we saw him exercising the power of that kingdom by driving out demons, by healing people from diseases. And now word has gotten out. Word has gotten out about how he's this miracle worker, like he's healing people with no deductible, no copay. And so everyone wants an appointment with him, right? And huge crowds are gathering at the res- and the response to who he is, what he's saying and what he's doing, the response is just out of control. People are going bananas. They just 
want to come to Jesus. Huge crowds are gathering. And to say that at this moment that Jesus was, was busy, like that'd be an understatement, right? Yeah. To say he was b- busy would be an understatement. And so now, now how does Jesus manage all this? How does Jesus manage all the craziness going on? In this text, we see Jesus responds to this new season of busyness and opportunity in like a much different way than than you or I might respond. You see, when we get busy, when we start getting popular, when opportunity after opportunity after opportunity starts to pile up, then the first thing that we tend to neglect is solitude and prayer. It's the first thing we, we, we tend to neglect. But Jesus, in our text, we see that he does the opposite of what we would do. The more time he spends doing things, the more time he finds to be praying. The more stuff he has to do, the more he kind of slinks back into prayer. And you can see the priority he places on prayer in verse 35 when it says, Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. When did he pray? Early in the morning, while it was still dark. I know that's a little hard to hear on sort of daylight savings day, right? (laughs) But the good news is that you don't have to get up when he did. The point in this verse is not what time he prayed, but the fact that he actually got away to pray. And so for you, it might mean getting up early, or it might be mean staying up late. Or it might just mean, you know, praying before the inbox fills up with email, before the kids wake up from their nap, before life and people and this never-ending list of to-dos start to pile in and, and just crowd out the voice of God. You, you, you get away to a quiet place to, to, to sit, to, to walk, to talk to God, and to listen to God. Uh, Brian Howard, he's been coaching me uh, through, you know, how I can be more of a, a more effective at my job as as a pastor. And he he recently reminded me of this old adage. There's like different ways that people have phrased it over the years, but the the gist of it is that you know if you don't define your own priorities, then someone or something else will, right? Some of us have heard that in some in some shape or form. Like if you don't define your own priorities, then someone else or something else well, Jesus defined his priorities and made prayer a top priority. My wife Alyssa is great at helping me personally like fight for this. Whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed, when my life is crowded with all kinds of busy, she doesn't just tell me to stop doing things. She, instead, she helps me to do the right stuff first, to make time to pray. When I'm overwhelmed, she says, hey, let's help you find time to pray tonight or tomorrow. Like, you need that right now. She helps me fight for that because it's a top priority. You see, the reason that it's a top priority, the reason that it's the right stuff is that the reason uh, is because it, it, first of all, it recenters us. Prayer does, does, it does a number of things, but in this text, we see that it does two primary things. And for, for Jesus in this text, we see that it, it recenters us. Prayer recenters us. Now, some of us think of prayer as like just another chore, right? We think of prayer as just another chore, just another thing to do. But when you dig into the heart of prayer, you see how it is actually the source of life. It is a true source of life. This verse doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus prays, 
But there are other verses in Scripture, like in Mark chapter 14, Matthew 6, and other places in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All these other verses that do give us a glimpse into the normal prayer life of Jesus. And in those passages, we see that when Jesus prays, He always starts with the word, Father. He prays to God as Father. And we can't miss that because that is the heart of prayer. Like in the Aramaic form, it's, it's, it's an even more intimate word. It's like, it's like calling God like dad or dada, right? Like a little kid. It's an intimate word between a son and a father when Jesus prays and calls his, his dad father. And why does that matter to us? Because it tells us that the heart of prayer is not you know, saying, hey, give me stuff, or God, do these things for me. It's not even, Lord, forgive me. Not that those are unimportant prayers. Those are totally important. They're not unimportant prayers, but they're not the heart of prayer. The heart of prayer is that we get to speak to God as Father. The heart of prayer is that in Christ Jesus, the creator of all things has has made you his own, has adopted you into his family. And now, because of Jesus, you have the Lord's fatherly ear. The other day, my three-year-old, she she poked me awake to to ask me for cereal. And uh, you know what she didn't do? She didn't take a number. (laughs) She didn't use formal language like, Dearest father of mine, I beseech thee to pour with me some crispies of rice. Right? She just poked my eye and said, Oh, hey, Dad, you're awake. Can I have some rice krispies? And I said, Yeah, you can, because she's my baby girl, and I love saying yes to her. I love doing things for her that give her joy. We have that kind of relationship. She's my girl. And so the most important thing in the Christian life is not what you do for God, but who you are to Him. That's the most important thing. And prayer recenters us on the fact that in Jesus, we are sons and daughters of the living God. And look, it's easy, it's easy to get, like, kinda get that, that kind of thinking, that priority out of, out of whack, right? It's easy to kind of forget that point because so much in life, so much of what we do uh, and what we get encouraged in and what we get affirmed for is by the stuff that we do, right? No one talks, says like, hey, good job because of who you are, right? No one affirms us for who we are. They affirm us for the things that we do, especially in a culture like ours, like a suburban, western keep up with the Joneses type of culture, it's really easy for us to get into this mode of thinking that who we are is based on what we do. But prayer recenters us on the fact that in Jesus, we are primarily sons and daughters of the living God. And if you belong to Jesus, that is the most important thing about you. All right? If you've been here long enough, you've heard me say, you know, the most important thing about me is not that I work for a church. It's not that I'm a pastor. It's not that I get to preach the Word of God. Those are all great things, but the most important thing about me is that I'm a son of the living God. And if that's true of you, if you belong to Jesus, then that means the most important thing about me is also the most important thing about you. 
And we can't forget that priority. We can't, that's why we need prayer to recenter us on that fact where we get to speak to God. No matter our vocation, no matter where we're at on the Christianity holiness spectrum, if you are found in Jesus, you get to speak to God as Father. You have His ear. And prayer reminds us of that fact. That's why prayer was foundational to the life and ministry of Jesus. Because the purpose of prayer is not to get things from God, but it's to get God Himself. And when you rest in, and when you sort of return to the unconditional love of the Father, then all of a sudden you become free from the tyranny of busyness. You become free from the tyranny of people-pleasing. You're free because you have all that you need in God through Jesus Christ. And so we need to be recentered on that fact through prayer. There's one other thing that we see prayer do for us in this text, and that's that it realigns us with the things of God. It realigns us with the things of God. I want you to see what happens next in verse 36. Read to verse 39. It says, Now Simon and those who were with him searched for him, searched for Jesus. And they all found Jesus and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he, Jesus, said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So the disciples here, they, they wake up, because remember, Jesus went out when it was dark, right? So the disciples wake up, and they're confused. They're just confused. They're like, where's Jesus? Where'd he go? Jesus was likely praying for hours because he went out when it was dark. And when Simon wakes up and the guys are looking for him, they're like, where did Jesus go? And you can almost hear the irritation in their voices when they find him. And they're like, dude. Where have you been, right? What are you doing out here? Everyone is looking for you. Notice how Jesus responds. He says, let's now go to the next town so I can preach there because that is what I came to do. That is what I came to do because in prayer, when Jesus was praying, he not only found the strength for the mission, but through prayer, he sort of reaffirmed his intention to fulfill his mission. He was reminded of the things of God. He was realigned with the heart of the Father. He reaffirmed his intention to fulfill his mission. The reason he was sent to do the will of the Father, to be hope breaking into a hopeless world. And it is this priority of prayer that realigns Jesus with his priority, his second priority of compassion. And that leads us to our next point. I want us to see the priority of Jesus' compassion, specifically in his preaching, his compassion in preaching. So Jesus is saying to them, he says, look, my mission is to preach the good news of the kingdom, right? That's why I came. The disciples, they haven't quite understood the whole point of Jesus yet. They think they know, but there's moments like all throughout the first few chapters where Jesus is correcting them and saying, no, this is why I was sent. And so the disciples here, they're still pretty thick-headed. They don't know why Jesus really came because they see the crowds that are gathering just around the corner, waiting and waiting to have their physical needs met. And Jesus says, no, let's not go there. Let's move on because I have some stuff to say. Now, why is that important? 
It's important because this reminds us, this part of the passage reminds us that Jesus came primarily not to meet physical needs only, but to meet our spiritual needs. You see, the disciples are saying, Jesus, what are you doing praying over here? We need to get you back to meeting our needs through miracles. But Jesus says, no. We have to keep moving. I have to keep moving to more people. And I'm going to do more than meet your needs through miracles. I'm going to meet your needs through a message, a message of good news. I'm going to meet the needs you didn't even know you have through preaching the word. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I came to preach good news. I came primarily to preach gospel. I came with the message of the kingdom that I'm going to make all things new. We, apart from the grace of God, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that just like the disciples didn't want to hear that. You see, because we'd rather hear that Jesus comes to meet the needs that we already know we have, right? That's the kind of Jesus that we tend to want, the Jesus that meets the needs that we already know we have. We don't want to hear his message of repentance, his message of the kingdom, but we need to. We need to hear it. It's like if you went to the doctor, you went to the doctor because you had this nasty cough, only to find out that you have like this tumor growing in your lung. Like, you don't want to hear that, right? No one wants to hear that. But if it's true, then man, you need to hear that. You need to hear that. What would be bad is if the doctor sat down, sat you down and said, all right, look, what would you like to hear? Right? You tell me what you want to hear. You tell me what you want me to do, and I'll just say it. Your call. Right? Like, that would make you feel uncomfortable. You're like, what kind of doctor are you? That's not what you need. What you really need is to hear the truth spoken in love. What we need is grace and truth. What we need is to have this doctor say, look, we did a couple tests. We found a tumor in your lung, and things aren't looking good. We need to operate right away, but I want you to know I've done this thousands of times. I've done these operations thousands of times. I have a 100% success rate. I know you're scared, but I'm going to walk you through this. I'll be the last person you see when you go under. I'll be the first person you see when you wake up. I'm here to answer any questions that you might have, and I'm, I'm here for you uh, the whole way through. I'm going to walk, hold your hand through this. If that's what you need to hear. If that's your condition, then man, that's not just what you need to hear. That's what you would want to hear, right? And Jesus is telling his disciples here, yes, I will demonstrate my power. Yes, I am willing to heal people. Yes, I will cast out demons. But that is not the reason I came. He didn't come to be a miracle worker. He came to be a savior. The reason he stands in the middle of a crowd to touch and to heal everyone wasn't just to do that in and of itself. It was to be a foretaste of something more a foretaste of the deeper healing that he brings. You see, what tears at the heart of Jesus, what sort of drives the heart of the Father that he prayed to is the brokenness of sin. That people have been alienated from God in their sin. 
And so Jesus says, look, all I want to do now is go from town to town to town to town to preach the gospel. This is my passion, to preach the good news. This is why I came out here, to bring good news. And so he goes all throughout Galilee preaching in the synagogues because of his heart of compassion as it comes out in his preaching. The rest of our passage brings us to our next point, where we see his compassion and showing mercy. His compassion and mercy. I want you to read verse 40 with me. It says, Now a leper came to Jesus, came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to Jesus, If you will, you can make me clean. This leper comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, if, if you will, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, it's hard for us, living in this time of history, to really grasp what it meant to be a leper back then. Because leprosy back then is different than forms of leprosy that we have today. This man had a disease, like leprosy was a disease that at that time had no known cure. No known cure. It was a disease that would eat away at your skin. So you'd have these bright, red, open sores forming all over your body that were just super painful. And when it got really bad, then there would be all sorts of nerve damage, and so the pain would stop because it would, what happened was the disease would shut down the pain mechanisms of the body, and then there would be no warning sign for you. So you'd be like running into things, bruising up, and you wouldn't feel the pain, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you'd know is after months and months of this, you, you'd have like appendages and limbs falling off, and, and, and you just wouldn't even know. You wouldn't even feel it happening because there's no warning system letting you know that something's wrong. I mean, this is the diagnosis back then that you feared the most. This is the diagnosis that you did not want to have. And just when you like, don't think that things could get worse for a leper, like they were the ultimate social outcast too. Cultural and religious regulations forced them to live on the outside of the city, out on the margins, out on the outskirts. And so if, if, they ever, if a leper ever came near to the city to, to sort of beg for food and money, then they were told the constant, that they'd have to constantly scream out, unclean, unclean. They'd have to say that they're not clean. They'd say, unclean. And as a result, like some people, like even, even, even the rabbis taught this, some of them, uh, some people wrongly assumed that lepers were, were the reason that they had this disease. The reason they were cursed was because of their, their sin, because of what they've done. And so when they needed compassion the most, when they needed compassion the most, they wouldn't get it. And so if a leper got to the point where there was like no more physical pain, and they, they would still have this like deeper emotional pain. And they got like limbs falling off, fingers falling off. And they were just total outcasts from the culture. Now, imagine, imagine that this is you. Imagine that you have this nasty and contagious sickness. Imagine that your limbs are tearing apart. Some of them are falling off. And meanwhile, you're, you're quarantined for health reasons. You're not allowed to be around anybody. And so you can't even go to the market. You can't worship in the synagogue. 
You can't have a meal with friends. You can't freely go anywhere. And anywhere you do go, you have to yell out, I'm clean, everywhere you go. And anytime you walk near people, they would part and make a hole. Because you can't get a job, so you have to beg for a living. Like, that's this guy. That's this guy's life. He doesn't just have a sickness. He has, he has a sentence to be removed entirely from the community. And look at what this leper does next in verse 40. Look what he does in verse 40. He says that he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus. The original language here implies like a, a nearness, so like he hounded Jesus. This was a guy who was supposed to cry out unclean everywhere he went, but not this guy, right? Like in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, we actually hear about a group of lepers that want to get healed by Jesus. And they kind of stay across the way from Jesus. They cry out to him because they're afraid of getting near to him because of you know, the, what, how socially people understood that in that day. So they cried out to Jesus from a distance. They were afraid to get too close, but not this guy. Not this guy. He comes near to Jesus. He heard the rumors. He heard about the one who spoke with divine authority. He heard about the one who was casting out demons. He heard about the Son of God who was healing the sick, the one who brought the kingdom of God to undo the works of darkness. He heard about him. And so what happens when he hears about Jesus? Hope invades his hopeless heart. Hope invades his hopeless heart. So he comes to Jesus, and what does he say? Read verse 40 with me again. It says, The leper came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeled next to him, and said, If you will, you can make me clean. He says to Jesus, If you're willing, you can make me clean. So he heard the rumors. He knows that Jesus can. What he doesn't know is if Jesus is willing. This has got to be an amazing moment in the life of this man. An amazing moment in the ministry of Jesus. You've got a man who's sick with disfigurement. He looks into the eyes of the one through whom all things were made, and he says, if you're willing. And he waits to see how Jesus will respond. It's probably the longest moment of waiting in that man's life. It's probably the longest moment in his life, waiting to see what Jesus would do, waiting to see what Jesus would say next. And we find out how Jesus responds in verse 41. Read it with me. It says that moved with pity, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. The translation for the word pity there is, is fascinating. Like it's actually a really complex Greek word that combines sort of a strong sense of compassion with a strong sense of anger. And so it's more a way to say it is that Jesus had this angry compassion that he experienced when he looked at this leper. In other words, Jesus is angry at what sin has done to his creation. Jesus is angry with what the fall has done to his world. And he responds now with mercy. It says that Jesus stretched out his hand. And what did he do? Touched him. 
Jesus stretched out his hand and touched this man. And that's mind-blowing. How long do you think it's been since this man was touched by anybody? It could have been years. Another gospel describes, the gospel of Luke actually describes this man as being full of leprosy. And so that tells us that this disease was likely had been progressed and advanced for decades. And so to untouch an unclean person, you know, people believe that if you untouched an unclean person, that that would make you unclean yourself. And so for years, likely for decades, people would run away from this guy to avoid being accidentally touched by him. And what does Jesus do? Jesus reaches out and touches the leper. He reaches out and touches him. He doesn't just say the words, be healed. He touches this man in front of everybody. Now read the good news in verse 42 with me. It says, Then immediately the leprosy left him, and he, the leper, was made clean. He was made clean. And we don't know if this guy like grew fingers and toes back or what, but we know that he's healed. It says, immediately. And what Jesus says next is actually super puzzling. I want you to read it with me. It says, at this point, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. So it's puzzling because he basically tells this guy, hey, look, don't tell anyone about this, right? Don't tell anyone about what you just experienced. You can tell the priest so that he can declare you clean again and you can be welcomed back into the community. But other than that, don't tell a soul. Let's just keep this to yourself, all right? Why would Jesus say that? Remember, Jesus didn't come to heal us only from physical disease, but from a spiritual disease. And so he didn't want this miracle to distract from the ministry of the Word, which he was moving on to do. He didn't want this miracle to distract from his preaching the good news of the kingdom that he came to bring. He didn't want this miracle to distract from the king that these people are supposed to be drawn to. He didn't want this miracle to create an interest, basically, in miracles alone. Now what happens next is is key. And I don't want you to miss this. Read verse 45 with me. It says, Now he went out, the leper went out, and began to talk freely about it. So he went and told everyone anyways. And to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but he was now out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, I don't want you to miss this point. I want you to notice something beautiful in this verse. Something that you and I might miss if we're not looking carefully at this verse. As a result of this man's disobedience, because remember, Jesus said, hey, look, just keep this to yourself. Don't tell a soul. But this man disobeys, right? He disobeys in verse 45. And I want you to notice that as a result of this man's disobedience, Jesus now could no longer continue preaching in Galilee. He had to go to desolate places. And so basically, they traded places. Jesus and this man, they traded places. 
You see, earlier this man was the one who couldn't openly enter a town. Now, Jesus couldn't. Earlier, this man was the one who was out in the margins, out on the skirts. Now, Jesus is. Earlier, this man couldn't enter the synagogue. Now, Jesus is the one out in desolate places. There's a 19th century uh, English Anglican bishop named J.C. Ryle who, who says, Of all of our Lord's miracles of healing, none were probably more marvelous than those performed on leprous people. Why would he say that? It's because in this text, we see ourselves. It's because we are all spiritual lepers without any way to heal on our own. Trading places with this leper is a snapshot for us of what Jesus truly came to do. Jesus came with a mission to go to the cross. And on that cross, he traded places with us. On that cross, he reached out. He reached out to take on our sin, to take on our alienation, to take on our uncleanness so that we could be made clean, so that we could be made new. And so when Jesus hung on the cross in our place, bearing the weight of the guilt of our sin, when he hung suspended between heaven and between earth, he took our sin so that we could be healed. So we could be healed on the inside and not just the outside. That's where we need it most. That's where we need it most because we are spiritual lepers. Are you convinced when you read this passage, when you know who this leper is and how he was treated, and you see the way that Jesus shows compassion to him through his mercy, are you convinced of Christ's compassion this morning? Are you convinced of the compassion that he has towards the unclean? Are you convinced of the compassion that Jesus has towards sinners like you and me? You see, the leper, he knew of his power. The leper knew of Jesus' power, but he wasn't sure if Jesus had compassion. And so he says to Jesus, Lord, if you will, if you're willing, if you will, if you will have mercy, you can make me clean. Now, you can't convince this guy otherwise. And how much more should we be convinced of his compassion on this side of history? How much more should we be convinced of his compassion on this side of the cross? You see, some of you this morning, some of you this morning think that you're too unclean to receive the compassion of Christ Jesus. This guy, this guy would tell you, no, no, you're not. You're not too unclean. It reminds me of this, this, this Puritan, uh, Richard Sibbs, who once said, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. We see that in this passage. There's more mercy in Christ than there's sin in us. 
Now, others of you, some of you have already been made clean. You already know Jesus. You already know him, but you're not living in the joy of that. You've already been made clean, but you're not living in the joy of the Father. But you can come to him. You can come to the Father in prayer as a child comes to a father because Jesus has done this. Because Jesus has showed compassion. He became the unclean Son of God so that you and I could be adopted into his family as a clean Son of God, as a clean daughter of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us that he, God, made the one who did not know sin, he made Jesus to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, because of Christ's great compassion, He paid the penalty of our sin so that we can be forever clean. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.